You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. We are making our way through the Gospel of John, and we are taking this week-by-week look at Jesus' life story as told by his best friend. In the very beginning of the book, he introduces us to Jesus as the creator of all. He wants us to know that before Jesus was born, he already existed as God. And he's giving us all of the signs throughout Jesus' life that will lead us to believe in Jesus because in Jesus there is life, and he wants us to have life. And so he, he points to the fact that Jesus is creator. And then next what he does is he introduces us to a man named John. Now, this man is not the same man who's writing the gospel. There's John the Apostle who wrote this life story of Jesus. But then there's another man named John who is John the Baptist. And John was a, kind of a different character. He was a little strange. He was a little weird. All right? uh, we know from other gospel writers that, that John's customary clothing was a um, girdle made out of camel's hair, which I don't know if you have anything made out of camel's hair. Not comfortable, okay? Um, not, not the standard, it's not cashmere, okay? It's just, it's not what people wear. It's not in fashion, it's not comfortable, it's not practical, but it's what he had. And that he, he, he had a diet of locusts and honey. Primarily his diet was locusts and honey. And I don't know if that's keto or caveman or gluten-free, I think it is, but that's what he ate. And so he was just a little different. And I would think that if you're sending someone to be kind of the forerunner of Jesus, who's going to be the testimony bearer of Jesus, that you're going to send a guy who's polished, right? Guy who has his act together, right? Guy who knows people in important places and is connected. John the Baptist wasn't any of that. John the Baptist goes out into the wilderness. He's a little strange. He's different. And he is proclaiming this message. And John was totally comfortable with who he was because he knew his role was to be this witness of who Jesus is. That was the reason he was here, to witness who Jesus is. And so in your Bible, we're going to see several places where John is introducing us to him as that, the witness. So John chapter 1 and verse 6 says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light. And you know what a witness is, don't you? I mean, if, if on the way out of church today, you're making your way to your car and somebody runs that stop sign on Adams and there's an accident and you saw it happen, you're a witness. And you could be called to testify in court what you saw happen. You're just sharing what you witnessed. That's what John is. John is going to give us testimony. He's going to put down for the record. He's going to say under oath. He's going to swear to what he has seen, what he has experienced, that Jesus is the Christ. And so John the Apostle wants us to believe that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Messiah. And so he gives us this witness. He calls John the Baptist to the witness stand and asks him to testify for us. And so he tells us there in verses 6 and 7 that he came to bear witness of the light. Look down at verse 15. And I apologize, I'm going to jump all over chapter 1 today. So just keep your Bible open. I'll follow along. So verse 15 of John 1 tells us, And John bare witness of him, of Jesus, and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And John is saying, listen, Jesus' ministry started after mine. He came to the stage after I did. I got started and then Jesus came along, but Jesus was here long before I was. 
And so even though I came before him sequentially, Jesus is before me, before all things, and he is greater than me. And so he's bearing witness of him there. Look down at verse 29. The next day John seeth Jesus. And so this is the moment that John sees Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. What was the record that he gave? What was it that he said about Jesus? He said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And then in verse 34, it tells us that he bare record that this is the Son of God. And so all throughout this this chapter, John is giving us a witness. He's given us a testimony. He's testifying to who Jesus is. And John's testimony is extraordinary because of the substance that he gives, but also the location where he does his ministry and the manner in which he gives this testimony. Everything about him is just absolutely extraordinary. And when I was looking over the, the, the life of John the Baptist this week and thinking about his testimony, it reminded me of another extraordinary witness that I read about a couple of years ago. This guy, his name was Robert Marza, and he was a border customs agent, and he was tasked with infiltrating the Medellin cartel. The Medellin cartel was Pablo Escobar's cartel, all right? So not the kind of people that you want to do undercover work with. And in doing undercover work with the Medellin cartel, he got to know people from the BCI, which is this banking corporation that was laundering all of this money. And so he develops all of these strong friendships with people in the cartel and people in this crooked bank. And he's got all this evidence on them. But for them to arrest them, he's got to get them on U.S. soil where they have jurisdiction so that they can be arrested. So what he does is he pretends to get married and he invites all of these people to his wedding in Florida. And so these people come to the wedding and he tells them, he says, listen, the night before we're going to have a crazy wild bachelor party. So meet me in the lobby. And they all get ushered into these limos and the limos drive to the restaurant, but they don't go to a restaurant. They go to this place that is full of DEA agents and they arrest all of these guys. And so because of these relationships, he was able to have this fake wedding and get all of these guys to come to this location where they had jurisdiction and arrest them. And because of all the work he'd done with, he had the substance, the evidence on them. What I want you to see in this passage of Scripture is that John the Baptist had the right location and the right manner of ministry, and the substance he gives us on Jesus is so important. So why does it matter so much that John's in this location that he's in? Verse 28 is very uh, intentional to point out to us that he is in Beth Abra, which is on the far side of the Jordan. He's at a place where there's plenty of water, and he's also in a place that is in the wilderness. He is not in Jerusalem. He's not near the temple. He's out where the villages of the people are at. And verse 19 tells us that when they send the priests to talk to him. The Jews who are in power, who are in Jerusalem, they send priests out to talk to him. They've got to send him out there because that's where John is at. This is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? Like, what are you doing here? What's going on? Why are you out here in the wilderness? Why are you out here near Jordan baptizing people? 
And John's response to them is actually a quotation of prophecy. He says, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. And a lot of people are familiar with that. It's Isaiah 40, verse 3. But I want you to see what Isaiah 40, verses 4 and 5 say. Isaiah 40, verse 4 says, Every valley shall be exalted, so every low place will be made high. And every mountain shall be made low. And the crooked ways will be made straight. So what's he doing? What's John doing? John is making everything even. He's making everything level. He's making the crooked straight. He's making the rough plain. He's making the mountains low. He's making the valleys high. So the, the playing field is level. And verse 5 says, And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed to all people. Now, I want you to think about the, the, the context that John is in. I want you to think about the countryside that John is in. This is a group of people, the Jewish people, that they would have made annual, if not more often than annual, at least annual, a pilgrimage from their village where they lived, traveled to Jerusalem to worship God at the temple. Because the temple is where God's presence dwells. The temple is where God has chosen to meet with His people. The temple is where you can go through all of the ceremonies and all of the sacrifices and all of the rituals of worshiping God. So they had to leave their home and travel to the temple at least once a year or a couple of times a year to worship God. And that's where you met with God. But when John bears witness... He doesn't do it at the temple. He does it out in their homes and in their village where they live. And John is saying, I'm the one who is making every mountain low and every valley high. I'm making the playing field level. So whether you live in Jerusalem or you live out in the village, whether you're on the backside of a mountain or in the depths of the valley, whether you have a good road to get to Jerusalem or you don't, everyone will be able to experience God. Everyone will be able to have this close relationship with God. I have come to make the valleys, the mountains, the crooked places to make it all level so everybody is near to God. Everybody's close to God. You know what I found? I found that talking to some people in Newburgh and lots of people in Evansville, they think that Chandler is like an hour away. I was, I was talking to someone on the phone I was talking to someone on the phone in Evansville. It was like doing some paperwork. And I said, well, I can come down and I can sign that. She said, I would hate to make you drive all the way from Chandler. And I said, I said all the way from Chandler. She goes, yeah, isn't it like a 45-minute drive? I said, I can, I can be there in like 10 minutes. She said, Chandler is that close? Yes. But for, for people who live in Evansville, Chandler is like on the far side of Jasper. You know, it, it's beyond holiday world, right? They, like, they don't know where we're at. There's a lot of people that they think that God is just far away. That He is so far away, that their life is so messed up, that their home life is so broken, that their background is so jacked up, that God is just so far away. And I want you to know, and what John the Baptist was showing these people is, Jesus is closer than you think. God is closer than you think. If you'll turn around, no matter how long or how far you've been running, if you'll turn around, God is right there. In fact, when, when, when John answers their question of why are you baptizing, John actually says, he says, I baptize with water, but there's someone among you. There's someone here whose shoe I shouldn't even touch. He's saying, like, you're coming and asking me about baptizing with water, and Jesus is among you. He is here. He's nearby. When Jesus starts his preaching ministry, he starts with the message, the kingdom of God is at hand. It is right here. It is near. And here's what I want you to hear today, okay? If you think that you are too far from God, 
that you are too far down the road, that your life is too messed up, I want you to hear that God is closer than you think. He is closer. The kingdom is near. He has come and he has made all of the mountains low and all of the valleys high. And he's made every crooked path straight so that we can easily get to him. He's near. So the location that John is doing ministry is important because it's this indication that Jesus is coming and the message, the gospel has been put out all over. And what does Jesus do? Jesus will travel to Jerusalem, but he spends most of his time walking out in the villages and in the towns and the small places that nobody ever went. So John's an extraordinary witness because of his location. He's also an extraordinary witness because of his, the manner in which he gives this record. The manner of John's testimony was baptism. So the way that he begins this work is he starts baptizing people. Okay? Now to us, if you're kind of familiar with church life in America, you're like, yeah, baptism is a thing that people do. Some people even baptize babies. It's just the way it goes. That, that's part of church life. Now, I want to be clear about something. Baptism is something we do, but we don't baptize anyone who we don't feel like has made the decision to follow Jesus. Until a person is able to make that decision for themselves, we don't baptize them. So that much makes us a little different. That's what makes us distinct. We baptize people who have made a decision to follow Jesus. That's the way that we operate now. But in John's day, nobody did baptism. Now, there was a practice of baptism, but it was something you self-administered. Baptism was this idea of ceremonially cleansing yourself. And there would be some people who felt like they needed to be clean, so they would baptize themselves every day. Every morning, they would go and get in the water to clean themselves off. You do this every day now. Hopefully, most of you, right? You, you do some cleansing. So baptism was this thing of like ceremonially, I'm cleansing my body, but also saying, God, I need you to cleanse my spirit. But you never had somebody baptize you. That was something that you did. And so because this is so out of the norm, I look at verse 25. So they've said, who are you? And he says, listen, I'm not Jesus. I'm not the one you're looking for. I'm nobody. And so verse 25, And they asked him and said unto him, Why baptizest thou then, if thou be not that Christ, or Elias, or neither that prophet? He's like, so why are you baptizing people? If you're not, like, what gives you the right, John, to be baptizing people? Who do you think you are, John, that you're baptizing people? Who do you think you are that you can baptize people? And this is where John says, John answered them saying, I baptize with water, but there standeth one among you whom you know not. And this very, very beginning introduction that we have to baptism is what we should all know about baptism, what we all should believe about baptism. Baptism only points us to Jesus. Baptism only points us to the one who can make all the difference in the world. Who do you think you are baptizing people, John? He says, listen, I'm just putting people in water, but there's coming one who's going to make all the difference in the world. It's that song that we sang. There's coming one who's going to have that crimson flow of blood that will wash away sins. There's coming one. I'm just baptizing people with water. That's not that big a deal. What is a big deal is Jesus who is coming. Look down at verse 31. John's talking about Jesus. I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. He's saying, I knew that Jesus was coming and that he, he needed to be shown to God's people. Therefore, I am come baptizing with water. 
Why is John baptizing people? Because he's pointing them to Jesus. He's telling them something is happening. God is working. Jesus is about to show up. He is baptizing people, so there is this clear indication that something is different. Something is happening. That's why he's baptizing. And so the baptism doesn't forgive people of their sins. The baptism doesn't make the difference in their life. The baptism is just pointing to the one who can forgive sins and make a difference in someone's life. And so baptism is not this thing that cleanses us of our sins. Baptism does not wash away the dirt in our lives, in our hearts. Baptism just points to the fact that we know the one who can. We're following the one who can. That's the difference. And this is my favorite way to illustrate what baptism is. Baptism is a lot like a wedding ring. And so I wear this ring to let people know what? That I like jewelry? That I'm gaudy? That I have money? No. I wear this ring to let people know I'm married. Now, when I take this ring off, and it is getting harder and harder to take this off these days. When I take this off, right now, the ring is off right now. Am I still married? But the ring's not on. Am I still married? You better believe I'm still married. I can't just take this off and be like, I'm not married. No, I still have vows and commitments that I've made. I still have a promise to keep. The ring just lets you see the promises that I've made. The ring is just a way to communicate a commitment I made in my heart, a commitment I made in my life. And so when I take this ring off, I'm no longer married. It's not that like, the, the vows are broken. It's, this is just a sign. This is just a sign. Now, we were broke when we got married, but we had enough money to buy this ring. If we didn't have enough money to buy the ring and we got married, you know what? I'd still be married. The ring was just a way to outwardly express the commitment that we made to one another. If someone comes to know Jesus at the very end of their life, or they're in the hospital, and God has been gracious enough to give them that moment, which most people don't get, that moment on their deathbed that they know that they're going to pass away, and they still have the clarity of their mind, and someone comes to know Jesus in that moment, and there's no physical way for them to be baptized, they're still saved. They're still forgiven of their sins. They've still experienced God's grace. Baptism just shows everybody else what we've experienced in our hearts. It's an outward demonstration of an inward decision. That's what baptism is. Now, for some of you, you've been following Jesus. He's made this difference in your life, and you need to take that step. You need to take the step of baptism. You need to take the step of letting the world know. When John was baptizing people, it was to let everyone know, Jesus is here, things are changing. And when we get baptized, it's to let everyone know, Jesus is here, and things are changing. Jesus has come into my life. I'm a different person now. I'm not perfect, but I'm following Jesus. Some of you need to take that step. And one of the very best ways that you can show the commitment that you've made to Christ is to get baptized. For your friends and family to see, like, this is serious. Something's different. Something's happened. And it's not a declaration that you're going to be perfect, but it is a declaration that you have decided to follow Jesus. You've made that decision. So the manner in which John gives us his testimony is baptism. The location is out in the wild. So what is the substance that John is trying to tell us? 
What is the message he's trying to give us? The message he's trying to give us is that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is the reason that he came. And the, the reason that John knows this so clearly is what we see in verse 32. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. Verse 34, And I saw, and I bear record, that this is the Son of God. In that verse, John tells us, first of all, there is one who has called him to baptize and look for the coming King, look for the coming Messiah, look for Jesus. Then he says that he sees someone, and God has told him, you will know it is him if you see the Spirit of God descending upon him. So there's God the Father, there's God the Son, and then there's God the Holy Spirit. There's all three in one. And he's able to bear witness of the fact that Jesus is the Son of God because God the Father told him what to look for, and then he saw God the Holy Spirit descend upon him. And so what John is bearing witness to us of is that this is not just another man. This is not just another guy. This is not just a good old guy who really knows some stuff. This is what? The Son of God. And for that reason, because he is the Son of God, he's able to be the Lamb of God. I don't understand what you mean. What do you mean he can be the Lamb? So go back. Remember, they're making that annual pilgrimage to the temple. When they would go to their annual pilgrimage of the temple, there'd be these ceremonies that they had to follow. There'd be these rituals. One of the rituals is they would sacrifice a lamb for their sins. Because they had done wrong, there had to be a punishment. And so instead of them experiencing the punishment for their sins, they would sacrifice a lamb. And the father, the the, the head of the household, as he's preparing this lamb for sacrifice, he would lay his hand upon the head of that lamb to signify that his sin is being transferred onto this animal. And this animal is going to die because of his sin. There had to be a payment or a penalty. So for a thousand years, Families are traveling to the temple. They're offering up these lambs. They're laying their hands on it. This would be the the sign of this sacrifice for their sins again and again and again. And every year they'd come back and do this again because there's still sin. And no lamb could take away all of their sin. But Jesus comes. And He is the Son of God. And because He is the Son of God, He is capable of being the Lamb of God. And no longer is there just one lamb after another after another, this year's lamb and next year's lamb, and that year that I really lived wild and crazy, and this lamb is going to take care of those sins. No, there is once and for all a sacrifice for sin in Christ. And He is that Lamb of God. And what, what did John say? Behold, the Lamb of God who what? Takes away the sin of the world. Not just for the people traveling to Jerusalem. Not just for the people coming to the Jordan River. Not just for the people who are hearing that message right now who takes away the sin of the world. 
And Jesus could do that because He is the Son of God and it's no longer one lamb taking the sins of one man or one family. It is a cosmic payment of God's own Son, a divine sacrifice covering all the sins of all mankind. We can all experience forgiveness. Now let's look all the way back at verse 14. The Word, that's Jesus, was made flesh and dwelt among us. God is nearer than we think. He's come to be near us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. What's it mean to be begotten? It means He wasn't made. He is the Son of God. We beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. When my kids act up and they deserve punishment, instead I give them something good, that's grace. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. What we deserve is punishment. Grace is getting something that we don't deserve that's good. Truth is the accurate account. It's the facts. So Jesus comes and He's full of grace and truth. He's full of those two things. Verse 15. John bare witness and cried, saying, This is whom I I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. He is the Son of God. He is the Lamb of God. He is the One. Verse 16. And of His fullness have we all received grace for grace. Not grace and truth. Grace for grace. Listen. Listen. John is saying, Jesus came and he was full of grace and truth, but his arrival made it possible for us to experience grace upon grace. Grace for grace. Grace and grace. And in his fullness, what's his fullness? It's his glory, it's his weight, it's his nature, it's who he is as the Messiah, the Son of God. Because he is who he said that he is. Because he is who John bear witness that he is. Because he is the Son of God. He is the Lamb of God who's able to take away the sins of the world For us, there is grace upon grace. And because He's so great, we're able to receive grace. And not just grace, but grace upon grace. Grace stacked on grace. Layer and layer and layer of grace. So that when we mess up and we foul up and we we ruin the grace that God has given us and we wreck things and we make a mess of our lives underneath that, grace. And we keep digging and we keep digging further and further and we've got ourselves in an even deeper hole and an even deeper hole. You know what's there? Grace. And there is grace upon grace upon grace and God's mercy is new every morning. And so if you think that you've messed up, you've, you've, you've done things so bad, you've got things so wrecked that there's not enough grace, there's grace upon grace. Why? Because He's the Son of God. He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Not just your mistake yesterday, but for all mankind, for all the world. And He's able to make that cosmic, ultimate, final payment because of who He is. Nobody else could do that. But in His fullness, because of who He is, because He's God's Son, there's always more grace. Now you, you lose your patience with me. And your kid might be an angel, but you'll lose your patience with her. 
Because you don't have grace upon grace. You maybe have a little bit of grace. Just a smidge of grace after you've had your coffee. Everything's going well and the weather's nice. But with God, there's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And there's grace upon grace. And grace, there's more grace. And His mercies are new every morning. His grace is constantly renewed. It never runs out. How's that possible? Because in the fullness of Him. Because He's God's Son. Because He's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. There's grace upon grace. Jesus looked at my life. He looked at my life. He said, He's going to need a lot of grace. Jesus looked at your life and he knew you, you weren't just going to need grace. You are going to need grace upon grace. You are going to need grace seven stacks high. You were going to need grace upon grace. And he came as the Son of God to offer us grace upon grace. A guy wrote into Reader's Digest and told about he was driving across Montana late at night. He's got his family in the car. He's going too fast. A police officer pulls him over. So the police officer gets out, and he's making his way, and he's shining his flashlight in the station wagon as he's making his way up to the driver's side window. And in the back, he's got his flashlight in there, and he can see that there are two dogs in the very back compartment of this beat-up station wagon. He steps up a little further, and he can see that in the back seat, there are two boys asleep, you know, leaned up against the door. And next to them, there's a little girl who's like maybe a year old in a car seat. Then he steps up. And he sees that in the passenger seat is this guy's wife who is very pregnant with baby number four. And so he sweeps the flashlight onto this guy's face and he says, buddy, you can't afford a ticket. Slow down. And he walked away. You know what he saw? He saw that that guy can't afford to pay. He's got a lot going on in his life already. He needs grace. And he gave him grace. Jesus looks at your life and he sees what you need is grace. So in the fullness of him, in the reality of who he is, he says, Daniel, you need grace upon grace upon grace. And because of who I am, I can offer grace upon grace. And he offers that to you today. Because he can. Because he's able because he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.